For September 20th, this is Ballot Box, the Pointers coverage of the 2021 Canadian federal election. Reporting today, Joel Whitnable and Sam Graywall. Hi, everyone. It's the big day, Election Day Canada. And today on Ballot Box, uh, Joel Whitnable of The Pointer is going to join me. It's just the two of us talking, setting up today's big election day, what we've seen, what we think voters should be thinking about as they head to the to their polling stations. Joel, first quick thing I want to ask you, compared to 2019, The Pointer covered the 2019 federal election extensively. And we've also poured in a lot of time and resources into this election what have you seen in terms of the 2019 election and the campaign compared and contrasted to this election campaign? I think I'll take more of an abstract approach and sort of trying to analyze the difference. Like it just, this election just felt different. It felt rushed, almost like none of the parties, even the liberals who called the election were really prepared to run an effective campaign. Um, looking back at 2019, we had, you know, we had the NDP coming to Brampton and promising the city a new hospital. We had not that this is something that candidates or parties prepare for, but there was controversies left, right, and center in Peel last election. We had social media skeletons being, you know, pulled from the closet and candidates having to apologize for things they said in the past. This this campaign just felt empty in a way. It just felt like the whole narrative all along has been Trudeau versus O'Toole. It's been that we're either going to get a liberal minority or a conservative minority. There's no other real storylines. And I think, I, I believe that that's a byproduct of this being sort of a snap election call. We have Trudeau doing this, really just dropping it on all the other parties and then having to scramble to fill up their slates. And I think that that is also a reason why things sort of felt empty, that we didn't have candidates really making any big promises or really making any waves of any sort. And this is completely anecdotal, but with the pointer, we had such a difficult time trying to get candidates just simply to speak to us. You would think that a candidate running an election campaign would want to get their face, get their priorities out to as many constituents as they possibly could. But more often than not, we had candidates either just flat out decline to do an interview or just not respond to repeated requests. And it's to our reporters' credit that many of the candidates we were able to get interviews because they are of their dogged determination to get them on the phone and and get that valuable information for for our readers. Because I think that that's you know critically important for someone who's going to be go- going to vote. They should know who is trying to represent them in Ottawa. But I don't believe that that's just in Peel. You know, with 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 reports that I've read across the country and even in Kitchener, where my family lives, reading their local paper when I've gone down to visit them, more often than not, I saw the candidate cannot be reached for comment or this candidate declined to do an interview. I don't know if that's a byproduct of this sort of, you know, snap election and candidates just not being prepared, or if that's maybe like a new strategy. Maybe the parties did learn from 2019 where they had so many scandals in Peel that now the parties are saying, no, just keep your interviews to a minimum, maybe to avoid any controversy. I don't know. But I think that's just a really long-winded way of saying this, this whole thing felt empty that there wasn't really much substance to the campaign, if, if, if that's coming across what I'm trying to say. Joel, do you think technology plays a large part in this? That I'm not talking about going back to the days of horse and buggies, but compared to previous generations, like even 30, 40, 50 years ago, when 
the best way to get in front of constituents to meet, you know, voters was to show up at their doorstep or to have a lot of local events, to be at the town hall, to be at the community centers, uh, to make sure that if the local clubs and associations were hosting debates or meet and greets, you know, you attended, you know, the fact that a lot of these associations, you know, even, you know, groups like the Kiwanis Club and Rotary, in the past, they've held debates. BIAs have held debates. Ratepayers groups have held debates. Other local associations, you know, we've seen City Hall, you know, hold debates. Mississauga tried, and I know the Board of Trade in both cities, Brampton, Mississauga, tried to put something together, but they were a bit flat. I didn't think they were very substantive or meaningful because, as you said, in both cases, most of the candidates didn't even show up. Do you think all of that is somewhat due to technology that both, you know, what you alluded to that, you know, with social media, there's a lot of these candidates that have skeletons in their closet that are very easy to pull out Oh, because you can dig up a Facebook post or someone can make a wild allegation on social media or, oh, there was a Twitter comment that you could sort of twist or turn or maybe it was something stupid said when they were younger. And and with all of these new communication platforms and forms of technology, it's made the parties fearful and it's driven candidates, like you said, you know, underground almost. What do you think about why? Like you said, this election in particular seems so weird. It's, It's as if though... You know, we have four or five party leaders, you know, if you count all the fringe groups and everything, six, seven uh, party leaders, and they've just have some bobblehead sort of like ghost like figures named as candidates, but they're invisible and they really don't have serve any function anymore during an election campaign. A, what, what do you think is going on? And B, like, do you have any thoughts about how we get back to more representative, representative campaigning and, and elections that are more they are more representative. They are more engaging. They, they do bring constituents and the people looking to represent them. They bring them together. Like, what are your thoughts? I think there's two impacts that technology is having. I think there's a lot of technology is really impacting the, the campaigns or politi- politics in general in a massive way. With the campaign in particular, I think in a way, political parties are almost afraid of the power that the technology and social media has. I think that that's why we see that silencing. I think political parties are afraid of, of those skeletons being unearthed, not just because they're, they're there. You can't get away from the fact that if somebody said something stupid, it's on the internet, it's there forever. If somebody screen grabbed it or whatever, but they're afraid of what happens when that does come to light and how fast it can spread across social media and across the internet. And that can have a massive impact on a candidate's success in terms of how it's changed the way candidates interact with people. I think that Jagmeet Singh is going to be a real bellwether of whether that way of campaigning is successful. And what I mean by that is we see him, he's all over social media and he is engaging with the young voters in ways that I think they understand, whether that's through memes, whether that's through different things on TikTok, short little videos, that sort of thing. For me, I I don't believe that that really works for, well, it doesn't work for me. I don't, I don't go to my phone or I don't go to a social media app to absorb substantive information. Like when I'm on Instagram or I'm on one of these apps, my brain is almost shut off in a way. And there's physiological things that will show you that it's just your, your brain's just looking for that little hit of dopamine. I'm not looking to absorb any real information. It's not like reading a book or reading a newspaper or reading an article on online or something like that. These social media apps are not designed for that. 
whether that's different for the younger generations, I don't know. Maybe that's a, a good story for the pointer to explore, whether they do go to those apps and they do make decisions about voting and those sorts of things from what they see on those apps. I think Jagmeet Singh is going to be a test of whether that works because you look at what he's doing on social media and I've, I've spent some time going through his, his posts and they are funny. He is generally talking about his political stances on things, but I think it's very much indicative if you if if readers or listeners read the pointer story on the NDP platform. The NDP platform was big on ideas, but low or little on detail about how they were actually going to implement those ideas. They have great ideas, but no real plan, or they're not sharing that plan about how they're going to pay for those ideas or implement them practically. And when you look at uh, Jagmeet Singh's social media, that's exactly what it is. It's just these big sort of virtuistic statements or you know little funny memes or whatever that are trying to get across a big idea but it's it's wrapped up in this tiny little package that to me is empty it doesn't really say anything it's just like a general statement about whether that's you know reconciliation or climate change or taxing the rich or whatever it is it's just a general statement that you could probably already assume Jagmeet Singh believes that you don't really need him to say it he's just saying it anyways because it's in a new forum on TikTok or Instagram whether that we see those sorts of campaign tools social media actual real engagement with those sorts of apps translating into votes i don't know last time around in 2019 we saw the same thing jagmeet singh was just as active on tiktok and instagram and all those other apps in 2019 and it didn't really translate into any substantial increase from what i can remember and so i think that technology is really it's changing everything about the way that we campaign or the way that politicians in these political parties think about engaging with voters. I just don't think many of them have figured it out yet or figured out a real way to use it to their advantage. And I think that that's why we see a lot of uh, hesitance about using it. How many stories, San, can you count that have written about we've done one? And then I saw like five or six others about how Jagmeet Singh is using social media because it's different from everybody else. He's really using it in a way that like a general person would use it or a, a marketing campaign for a product or a service, you know, by a private company, the way they might use social media. Exactly. And I, I don't think we're seeing other politicians do that. And maybe they're all waiting to see whether it pays off for Jagmeet Singh and the NDP. I don't know. And I think that, yeah, it's, there's a lot there. Like the technology is, it's changing everything about politics. And I don't know whether a lot of that is for the good, to be honest. I suspect that, the savvy and sophisticated political players, the parties who figure these things out will continue to use technology. But I, I just think that they're going to start to understand how to use it. Like, I think we're in this nascent kind of feeling out process when it comes to a lot of social media. Obviously, TikTok is like really new. And, and I think it'll be really interesting to get the voter turnout data and the statistics on the election. And when we see the actual ballots come in and we, we take a look at demographic information and a lot of you know, research and, and very detailed analysis on the election in the next couple of weeks, the one telling thing, I think what we're gonna really look at and the pointer, uh, we, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna delve into this, is whether or not like issues like climate change and indigenous reconciliation and gender rights and uh, equity and inclusion for visible minority groups and you know other progressive social 
issues that are you know incredibly important obviously uh climate change is not just a social issue and neither is indigenous reconciliation or any of the other things i mentioned they're also economic issues they're cultural issues they're incredibly political issues they're important across the board in terms of what they what they represent but i think what's going to be interesting is to see how will a campaign like jugmeet sings play out in terms of the actual election result Will we find out that, no, the polls were off, you know, a lot of their thinking was off because those who actually go out and take the effort to cast a ballot are still motivated by economic issues, by kitchen table issues, by what's happening with their bank account, by really simple notions of affordability. Why am I paying more for eggs and milk and, and gas at the pumps? Like if it turns out that those more typical easy to understand relatable issues that have driven politics and elections and decision making for decades and decades if it turns out that that's again you know the case here then i think you know the political parties and some of these leaders are going to have to really really think hard about the way they approach campaigns the way they use technology and maybe it's a case that the younger generations millennials those younger than them uh, will have to show the political parties and politicians and the future leaders amongst those younger generations, they'll blaze the trail in terms of, look, you don't have to use technology like it's bubble gum or cotton candy, but you don't have to use the old methods that are like not working anymore and they're irrelevant and they're glued to old narratives that, you know, simply, you know, aren't the things that younger voters think about. So I think we're going to, we're going to start learning a lot about, where things are going to go in the future once we sift through all all of the data and the results. Joel, last thing I'll ask you, and then we're going to wrap up really quickly because because we want you know people to get a little bit of information in case they're still heading out to the uh, polling stations to vote today. Uh, tell me, uh, and this is the last question, what are some of the things that you really appreciated about the campaign substantively in terms of the issues that were addressed? And what do you think voters did not benefit from during the campaign in terms of major issues that were pretty much ignored, but that voters should know about. And maybe you can fill in what some of the parties plan to do about a couple of the issues that were largely ignored. Yeah, I think the obvious one that I was really happy to see, and I think is it's going to define a lot of governance in the next decade is, is the climate change debate. And it was obviously front and center. Anyone who's been paying any attention to this campaign knows that it was, I would say, the biggest issue that defined this campaign about where the party stood uh, on climate change. And that was very, I think, encouraging to see because it's one of these issues that has been really smoldering in the background for a while. You know, the political parties say they have their plans for it. And that's sort of the liberals have been saying they've got their big climate change plan, what they're going to do about it. But they've been in governance for, you know, ruling for six years and they've done very little. And we see it at the local level. We see it, uh, we see the municipalities doing their best with their own climate change plans to try and mitigate things, but they need help from the federal government. And so there's all these issues that are ongoing throughout the country. And it was really good to see that discussion be get such a, a high profile place during the campaign and it obviously be all the party leaders were, were asked questions about what they plan to do. So that was really encouraging. But I think because that occupied so much space during the campaign, it pushed other issues aside. One of those being one that we've discussed uh, on our last episode of What's the Point, which, which is crime and safety or public safety. In 2019, I think that that was one of the biggest issues uh, discussed 
uh, throughout the election campaign. We had the party leaders come through Peel more than anywhere else. And more often than not, they were asked about what they were going to do about rising gun and gang violence in the region. At that time, they, the, the region was in the middle of a pretty big increase or a spike in violent crime, which kind of tapered off during the pandemic. Whether we can trust those statistics is up for debate. But this election campaign, there was barely a mention about these issues. There was a blip where Trudeau tried to make a big uh, storyline of O'Toole sort of backpedaling, if you want to put it that way, on his stance on assault weapons and whether he would ban them or whether he would repeal the liberal assault rifle ban. And that grabbed headlines, I think, for a few days before it, it disappeared completely. It was almost only just one day. Yeah. <laughs> Which is sort of, I think, indicative of how much, whether the this was something party leaders, like the parties consciously did. I think they did. They wanted to focus on this idea of positivity, of recovery, getting out of the pandemic, solving climate change. The parties wanted to push messages of positivity, focusing on issues like crime and safety, like human trafficking, like internet child exploitation, which are all very difficult to talk about in the best of times. Putting those issues front and center where they they should be, these are issues that are impacting not just the most vulnerable in our society, but children and they rarely get the attention. Look at the reports from the Canadian Center for Child Protection. All of the executive summaries say this is an issue that is not getting the attention that it needs. It's a crisis. There are you know millions of kids across the globe that are being impacted by this. And more often than not, it's, it's happening here in Canada. It's happening in Peel. And it's becoming this massive, massive problem with children who all have access to smartphones, all have access to the internet. And it is a topic, in my opinion, that should be front and center during an election campaign. The federal government has the power to amend legislation, amend laws, give more money to police internet child exploitation units in municipal police forces across the country to be able to better train and hire more investigators to deal with this crime. Peel has a population of 1.6 million people. The Internet Child Exploitation Unit in Peel has eight officers, not all of which are dedicated to trying to stop pedophiles from luring children over the internet. Andrew Ullock, of the, the head of that unit, has told the pointer, we can't catch everybody. It's impossible. And if that doesn't scare people that, that have children. It scares me, and I don't even have any kids. In my opinion, that's why these issues should be front and center. And unfortunately, in this election campaign, they were not. When it comes to the main issues, gun and gang violence, all the parties have different general, I'd say, similarities about how they want to do it. There's more funding for Canadian Border Services agencies to stop guns from being imported into the country. You know, the Liberals have planks about that. So do the Conservatives. And there's more funding for municipal police forces, more funding for social services to address sort of upstream approaches, which is something the Pointer has written a lot about, which is good to see. I would say that the Liberals, the NDP, and the Greens have more of an emphasis on approaching that, whereas the Conservatives have much more emphasis on the border and stopping the guns from coming in, and also on sentencing as a deterrent uh, when it comes to human trafficking and even gun crimes. There's a lot of writing in the conservative platform about strict, uh, stiffer penalties for people who are caught with illegal guns or caught human trafficking or anything like that. So, And that's just not even, I wouldn't even say scraping the surface of this issue, but it's unfortunate that that didn't get more attention during the campaign. Yeah, and I'm going to just point out one thing before we say bye to everyone, and that I believe it's the same dynamic 
that is causing both some really positive trends in terms of the narrative and the political dialogue and the political shift toward you know the climate and you know discussing and debating what needs to be done about our environment and more positive uh, movements and, and a broader recognition, you know, for the need for policy around climate change. I think a lot of the positives have been caused by the same dynamic. I think that same dynamic has caused a lot of the, the, the shortcomings in terms of other issues getting neglected. And that dynamic is the redefining of the conservative party. I think that when Aaron O'Toole does what he has done, like this is, this is the big narrative, right? It's, it's, it's affected pretty much every major storyline and trend line of this campaign and what's going to come out of the election is the conservative shift towards the middle, towards the center. Aaron O'Toole, he's not Stephen Harper. He's not Andrew Scheer. He's a more moderate politician. He's a small C conservative. He's going to bring the party to the center. He's going to make the tent much bigger. And in doing that, making a commitment to reducing uh, emissions by 30 percent to 2030 compared to i think it's 2005 levels but yeah reducing emissions 30 percent below 2005 levels by the year 2030 and you know while these things have been spoken of during the harper and and sheer administrations they talked about that same target and that's the target out of the paris agreement so it's not new but the fact was was that conservatives were never committed to it they just threw it in their platforms as a little you know response to the liberals and the ndp and increasingly the greens but now you know tool is like pulled the party over what does that do it actually forces the liberals all of a sudden to take these measures seriously that you know the liberals now they know there's going to be a major consequence they might get away with it this election and eke out you know a minority or maybe you know small possibility that they could somehow you know if everything falls their way today they could get a majority but regardless the liberals know that they now have to institute firm policies on on climate change otherwise they've got the conservatives nipping at their heels on this issue and centrist voters are going to say well you know what that issue is really important to me but the conservatives are a viable option all of a sudden if you're an environmentalist or if you're concerned you know to any degree about climate change now because of what o'toole's done it's forcing it's going to force the liberals like we can't stop missing our targets we can't stop talking out of both sides of our mouths and beyond that the greens have done the best job in, in framing the issue in a sophisticated way, and that's going to continue to put pressure on the liberals, where the Greens are saying, why are you still giving grants to polluters? Why are you still giving grants to private companies that have no interest in doing the right thing? Why aren't you talking about getting the big banks to divest themselves you know, from the fossil fuel sector? You know, Stop investing in fossil fuels, Canadian banks. Why aren't we making the issue of climate change, an economic issue, like the pointer pointed out in an article over the weekend, you know, the climate change issue is the biggest economic opportunity that the world has ever seen. And I think all the parties did it. Well, the Greens did a decent job, but obviously they don't have as big of a, you know, a microphone, you know, their, their platform is just not as big as the liberals and the conservatives. Why weren't the liberals and the conservatives using this election to say, Hey, you know what, not only are we going to try to clean up the environment, not only are we going to try to, you know, stop some of the impacts of climate change and, and prevent us from reaching, you know, 1.5 degrees or two degrees, 
we're actually also going to create millions and millions of jobs and we're going to create trillions of dollars in economic opportunity and the industry sectors of the future and the companies of the future that are going to arise through a green economy, we're going to be at the forefront of that. And Canada, you know, we could be, we could reap huge economic benefits if we view this, I don't mean to be cynical, but we should be viewing this as an economic opportunity, as a private sector issue, as an issue of investment and returns on those investments and economic growth because of those investments. And like I said, job creation and prosperity, you know, the, the two go hand in hand. May Hopefully next election, we're going to see that. But the reason I said that there's been two dynamics that have been impacted because of the, the conservative shift to the middle, you know, Joel, I think in the past we would have seen and we did see someone like Andrew Scheer, you know, really, really emphasize public safety. And, and now, with the conservatives not pushing that issue as much, my fear is that, you know, those who think about public safety, those who are in law enforcement and the criminal justice system and the court system, they're going to be pointing at data and the reality that, look, we still have a lot of issues. Like, I'm not trying to be the big boogeyman saying, oh, my God, our streets are, are, are terrible and you're going to be at risk if you ever, like, walk outside and there's danger lurking in every corner. I'm not trying to suggest that, but because we at the pointer, Joel, you especially, we're so close to the reality. We report on it heavily, especially in areas like Brampton and Mississauga, where certain neighborhoods are are, are continuing to be subjected to all of the problems and ills of a situation and a circumstance where, where public safety is not taken seriously. And the spillover effects on certain communities and really communities at, at, at large, like all of us, you know, are, are really, really negative. Like these impacts, you know, everything from online um, atrocities and dangerous things that our children are exposed to, to street level crime. It's easy to turn a blind eye to it, but we know it's really, really impacting communities. It's tearing families apart. It's tearing neighborhoods apart. So I, I just hope those issues don't get neglected because of this realigning of the political spectrum in Canada. You know, obviously, the conservative shift to the middle also gives rise to the PPC. So the PPC, it's not an issue in and of itself. People who are saying, oh, the PPC, it's the big storyline. Well, no, the PPC is a creature of a conservative decision under Aaron O'Toole to move the party to the center. If it wasn't for that, you would have no PPC. If we had seen another Andrew Scheer campaign, the PPC probably wouldn't even exist after this election. We've seen the opposite. The conservatives have moved way over to the center, and now the PPC is going to probably be around for a long, long time. Anyway, with all of that, for the voters, I, I hope you did get enough information from the parties, from the candidates. I hope the pointer did its part to fill in a lot of those gaps. And so as everyone heads off to their polling stations today, you know, I, I just hope there's enough information that voters are still getting, you know, so that our democratic process is just that, a truly democratic process where an informed electorate and informed citizenry can make these vital decisions you know that impact our entire country based on solid information and if we're not getting that and if that's completely broken down that's something that the pointer that we're going to really focus on okay anyway that's about it uh, we will have another episode of ballot box tomorrow with a special guest and we're going to break down all of the results after the election today thanks for listening and we'll talk to you tomorrow Box.
Talks was hosted by Sam Graywall with Joel Wittenable, produced by Anukul Thacker and yours truly. Join us tomorrow for continuing coverage of the 2021 Canadian federal election. I'm Jeff Chalmers. Thank you for listening. See you then.